Um, guys back there in the booth, I apologize right now because I am probably not going to do any of my notes that I've given you. You, you can't be in times like we've just been in and not in some way try to stay there. I hope you realize what you have here, what's happening. I travel a lot. I'm in a lot of different settings. I'm in a lot of different churches. This isn't happening in a lot of places, sad to say. I wish it was. I wish it really was. You've been learning about revival. Mark my word, you're about to experience it. It's in your midst. A good friend of mine, he's gone on to be with the Lord, very strong in the prophetic gift. He's the one that actually taught me about the prophetic ministry. And him and I used to travel together and do meetings and things. And so I spent a lot of time with this prophet. And one of the things he taught me was this. He says, as you talk, speak, and declare about God is how he'll show up. So when you begin to talk about God as a God of revival, guess what? He'll show up as a God of revival. You know, um, sometimes it's good to be in discontent, dissatisfied. Sometimes it's good to be dissatisfied with where you're at. Sometimes it's good to be dissatisfied with you. See, there are, there are many times I'm dissatisfied with me. Because there's more that I know that the Lord has that he wants to reveal to me. And I'm dissatisfied with me because I know I'm not pursuing that like I should be pursuing that. And that's a good thing. That's a good thing. Years ago, there was a wise man that mentored me for a season. And then when I went to him, I told him, I said, I'm frustrated. All kinds of good things were happening. The church I was pastoring was paid off. We were operating debt-free. People were getting healed. People were getting saved. But I was frustrated. And I was frustrated with me. And he told me, he said, young man, he said, what you call frustration, I call holy discontent. And he said, God will position you in that place so that you'll have the hunger to pursue what you need to pursue in your life. Some of you are frustrated with things and you're thinking, well, God, why are you against me? And God says, I'm not against you. I'm for you. I put that discontent in you. I put that frustration in your life to awaken you. So that you would be compelled enough to move and to do and to seek the things that I have for you.
See, there's scripture in Proverbs 22 that's, that, that says that. Did, did I give you that one? You can maybe throw that one up. No, maybe I didn't. Let me pull it up. I don't want to mess up. It says this, Proverbs twenty two twelve said, God passionately watches over his deep reservoir of revelation knowledge. God passionately watches over his deep reservoir of revelation. God has a deep reservoir of revelation knowledge that he has for you and I, but he passionately, diligently, stewardly watches over it. Why? What opens that reservoir? Hunger. Hunger opens that reservoir. Hunger opens that reservoir. Discontent will open that reservoir. There is a place that God has for us to pursue. It's called his glory. In Matthew chapter 17, I was just this is where I'm, I'm, I'm going to go today. We're going to see where we go from here. Okay? This is the account that we call the Mount of Transfiguration. I'm going to read a portion of it. I'm going to read the first eight verses in Matthew chapter 17. It said, after six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, his brother, and Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah, or the law and the prophets, talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I'll make three tents here, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. And he was still speaking, behold, behold, I brought a bright cloud overshadowed them. That's the glory of God. And a voice from the cloud said, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. And when the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, rise up and have no fear. When they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus. See, what what Matthew 17, these first eight verses of Matthew 17, is really a revelation of Proverbs 25.1. In Proverbs 25.1, it says that, that God hides... His, it is the glory of God to hide his words. It is the glory of a king to seek out those words. It is the glory of God, or in other words, a more, our more exact definition is this, is that God hides his word in his glory and that a wise man, a wise king, or a wise individual will seek out the glory of God to discover his word. See, sometimes we get things mixed up and we're seeking the word of God. We're seeking to, and God says, what I want you to seek is me and come into my place, come into my glory. And there I will open my reservoir of revelation knowledge to you. And you'll get a whole lot more than what you had desired. You get a whole lot more than what you even expected. 
You ever had one of those? Where you just, you have this encounter with God. You just have this encounter with, with the Trinity, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. And you're in that place and I said, God, I said this last night, I think it's still true. That when God speaks, he speaks in paragraphs, not in words. He's just like he downloads paragraphs. There's been times I've just had these encounters with God. It was just like, there's a point where I'm going, oh, God, I, I don't know if I can take any more. I don't know if I can handle this. I'm full, but I'm hungry. I'm filled, but I'm hungry. That's the unique thing about the Lord is that he'll, he'll fill you and his filling creates more hunger. There's this chemical that thing happens in our bodies. I think it's called ghrelin. And ghrelin is the hormone that's, that our brain releases in our body that tells it that we're hungry. So you don't just get hungry because, you know, no, the brain's saying, hey, the body needs nutrition. So it releases this ghrelin and this ghrelin causes this thing to happen in our bodies called hunger. Well, there's a holy Graylin. It's called the Spirit of God. That he releases in our lives to create this hunger. If we will draw near to him. And that's what revival is about. Revival isn't about a bunch of hoopla. I was joking with Aaron. I said, well, Sean's not going to be there Saturday night, so we can have a prayer tunnel. Any of you experience a prayer tunnel through your Christian Walking, some of you have, you know what I'm talking about. Sean, you remember some of those that we had? The prayer, the infamous prayer tunnel. That's not necessarily revival. That can be, it can't be very much, but most of the time it was a lot of emotion, a lot of hoopla, and late nights for us who are on staff. But there is this place. That God wants to draw us to just as, as Jesus took Peter, James, and John to this place. And he said, this is, this is what's important. He said, what's important is to get into a place where the glory of God will show up. And that's one of the things, one of the definitions that we have for revival. See, in the New Testament, there are two words primarily used to define time. One is the word chronos, which is a quantitative term, meaning the quantity of time, meaning what? There's seconds, minutes, hours. There was a, there was a day's journey. That, that time re- reference would be a chronos. It was a, it was a measurement. And then the other word is kairos. Kairos, really, in the Jewish culture, when, uh, excuse me, in the Greek culture, when they would hear the word kairos, what they understood that as is a quality of time. So kairos is more of a a time that has a quality of, uh, of characteristics of nature to it. I, I learned this really firsthand in, in traveling internationally because we here in the United States, it's like we, we come to a mealtime. Our meals are about the quantity of food that we get, that we're having. We're having quantity of food, you know. 
That's what our focus is. We're going to eat. We're going to eat. The, and it's like, how much are we going to eat? Or how much can we eat? Or how much are we going to get to eat? But when I travel to other countries, most other cultures are focused on more of a kairos encounter. What? It's the quality of that that you have, the quality of relationship. It's about relationship. It's not really about the food. The food is just kind of secondary. The food is just kind of a means for the end. But the, the end is, is the quality of time that we have together. That's why in most other countries, their meal times are probably an hour and a half to two hours long. Ours were like less than five minutes. Why? Because we can down a lot of food in five minutes. Right? And a lot of times that's what we do with God. We want these, these quick, we want this, you know, kind of a, a Raymond Noodle relationship with God. Have you ever been to college? You know what Raymond Noodles are. My wife and daughter eat those things. I just, I can't do it. I'm sorry, I can't do Raymond Noodles. Just can't do it. And that's many times too sad to say in, in, in the Western culture, in the Western church, the American church today, is that's kind of the revelation or kind of the relationship that we want to have with God. We want to have a Raymond Noodle relationship with God. It's one of the things I love about coming here. I, I always ask Pastor Sean, I said, what, what time do you want me to be done? And he goes, well, the next service starts at 11.15. I'll tell you, most of the churches I go to today, uh, they'll tell me, uh, you have like 25 minutes. I say, oh, you want a Raymond Noodle sermon message. It's true. And it, it's, it's not that I think we should come here and linger for, you know, for hours upon hours upon hours. But actually, we should come with that kind of expectation. I heard Bill Johnson say this a number of years ago. He says, you know, it's not really hard to get the glory of God to show up. He says, what's very difficult is what to do once he does show up. Then what do you do? That's where we, that's where we lack. That's where we, where we lack understanding and we lack discipline is we don't know what to do when the glory of God does show up. Why? Because we've not been practicing the glory of God in our own individual lives. Because if you practice the glory of God in your own individual lives, then corporately when the, when the glory of God shows up, you're like, ah, I'm in my place. I'm in my place. Rather than, this is different. It's kind of weird. This weird thing happened at church today. We were created for the glory of God. The reason that you and I have the DNA, the spiritual DNA, the makeup, and the construct of us as human beings, we were created for the glory of God. You realize that, don't you? Go back and read Genesis, Genesis 1, Genesis 2. That's a, we were created for the glory of God. God created us for this in-depth revelation I mean, that, that nothing would be withheld. That's, what, that's why it says that Adam and Eve were naked in the garden. What? There wasn't anything that was a hindrance in this relationship with God. 
See, there's a difference between being naked and being nude. There's a difference. Nude has an inference to lust. Naked has an inference to trust. See, a lot of times we don't, we don't want to be naked before God what, or, or fully exposed before God. Or, or He sees it anyway, but we in ourselves, we get hindered. Why? Because we don't have the depth of trust in God that we should. David had that trust. He said, Lord, examine me. And show me if there's anything that's, 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 that's causing me to be nude, remove it so that I can be naked before you. These are the types of things that we are moving into, into the body of Christ. This is what's, what's beginning to be dropped in the hearts of people. To have these kind of authentic relationships and encounters with God. To have these kind of kairos times with God, to have this quality, this quality of time with God. You can throw that slide up about the, the, the three characteristics of revival or of a Kairos time. The three characteristics of a Kairos time is it'll be prophetic, which means it's revealing and instructive. It'll be profound. It'll set something deep within you. And it'll be prolific. It'll be highly fruitful. These are the three characteristics of a Kairos time. In 2006, I was in uh, I was on staff at Word of Life Church up in St. Joe, Missouri, and and uh, they have a, a prayer facility there. It's called the Upper Room, and I was in the Upper. I tried to go in there once or twice every day and just just spend some time with the Lord. I was in there one day, and I had a Kairos moment with God. So I'm in there just just praying. And all of a sudden, this, this picture comes up before me. And it was like a, an Olympic gold medalist who's, you ever seen that? You know, the Olympic gold medalist stands in the middle box, the highest box, and you have the silver, and then you have the bronze. And, and this, this individual was, was standing in this high box. And, and the Spirit of God spoke to my heart, and he asked me this question. He said, how did he get there? How did that person get there? I said, well, discipline and, you know, hard work and all these things. I named off, you know, a number of things like that. And he says, you're not seeing anything. He said, look behind him. And I, when I looked behind him, there was like this crowd of people. And he says, no one gets to that level by themselves. It will only be done by other people helping them. He said, now I'm putting a mandate on your life to help the next generation of leaders come into their place. He said, no longer is your place going to be standing on the box. Your place is going to be standing behind them. That was in 2006. I did not realize in 2013 the Lord began to deal with me about resigning my position where I was at in St. Louis, a church in St. Louis, uh, 
and to take what I called my faith of leap. See, sometimes your divine encounters, your Kairos moments will demand faith. God forbid that we would have to do something by faith. See, I, I, had, no, I had no financial backing. I had no guarantees of, of uh, what would happen. All I had was a, was a word from God. We sang about that this morning, but that was more than enough. So I used wisdom, you know. We put some money aside and different things like that. But I took my faith of leap. And I didn't really, and the Lord reminded me, the day that I gave my resignation, the Lord reminded me, he said, remember what I talked to you about back in 2006? He said, you just moved behind the platform. And that's your place, that's your calling, is to help this next generation of leaders come into their place to carry forth the kingdom progress and the truths of my word to the next generations. What was that? It was revealing. It was instructive. What happened? It sat deep within me. It's why I do what I do today. I'm passionate about it. Why? Because it burns. It's like the two guys on the road to Emmaus. When Jesus, when they had this Kairos moment with Jesus on their journey to Emmaus, they later on when Jesus revealed him to us, they did not our hearts burn within us? What burns in your heart today? Do you have anything burning in your heart today? I remember, remember when Tommy Barnett came to Word Alive a couple of times? I remember, I don't know if you remember, we were in the Life Center, and I was, he was talking, and he says, you'll know that something is a God purpose, a God dream, whatever, by three things. Remember that? He said, one, it's always bigger than you. Two, it will pursue you. It's what you'll think about, you'll sleep about, or you'll dream about. It's always with you. It consumes you. And three is you'll be willing to die for it. Meaning what? You'll be willing to make whatever sacrifice you need to make for it. That's what happens in a Kairos moment. Do you have something pursuing you today? Do you have something that just keeps pursuing you? Maybe it's a word. Sometimes with me, it's just a word. Sometimes it's a word. You know, in January of 2018, the Lord spoke to me. He says, I want you to be led by the Spirit. I'm thinking... Dear Lord, 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 I've been walking with you for 40-some years. I thought I was being led by the Spirit. He didn't say anymore. But every time I go to prayer, he just keeps saying, I want you to be led by the Spirit. I want you to be led by the Spirit. I want you to be led by the Spirit. I had this revelation. Maybe I ought to be led by the Spirit. And what I discovered, what the Lord was trying to reveal to me, what he was showing me is that I was defaulting to how I had been led by the Spirit. The Lord says, I want you to be led by the Spirit. Not how you were, how I want to do it now. See, that's, that's something that was instructive to me. It said in, 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 in t- today, one of my prayers 
as I pray daily as Lord, today, I want to be led by your spirit today. I want to be led by your spirit today. Show me what you, how you want to lead me today. How do you want to lead me today? So we have these Kairos moments, these divine encounters. Peter in Acts chapter 3 said this. You can throw that scripture up if you would. Said this, but he's talking to this. Has just been that you, you all remember this Acts chapter three. You know, Acts is the book of revival. You know that, right? It's full of revivals. That's why many Christians don't read the book of Acts because they're like, "Oh dear Lord." Anyway, so Peter just happened. There was a the the, the lame man at the but- gate called Beautiful and he got healed, and they were in the temple area, and and all this hubbub was happening, and. And Peter really kind of lit lights into those people that were there about, you're the ones that really killed Jesus. <laughs> but guess what? God forgives you. And he goes on and he says this, but, but, um, but what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out, that times, that word times is the word kairos, that kairos, this quality, there's going to be a quality encounter of refreshing that will come. Where? From the presence of God. From the presence of God. See, we, we as a people, and our fast-paced, distractional lives that we live. We never take time to refresh. That's why there's all these things out there, all these gimmicks that are out there to try to give you quick fixes. Well, just take this supplement and you only need four hours of sleep. Just take this. There's, there's an, I saw the other day where there's, there's, you just take this pill. You don't have to exercise. You don't have to eat any different, anything like that. And, and, and this weight will just fall off of you. Magically fall off of you. I'm like, well, say goodbye to keto. All I got to do is take this pill. See, we're always trying to, to bypass things, to get these, these quick fixes. These, these, there's just some things that's not going to happen in your life with God unless you take time to have an encounter with God. In my experience, sometimes it's just a moment So it's not like you have to linger for hours upon hours upon hours upon hours. No, much of much of what determines our encounter with God is the condition of our hearts. 
What are we really passionate or compassionate about? What are we really desiring? See, spiritual, mental, and physical growth does not come, contrary to much of which that doesn't come, by osmosis. I mean, what, just because you're here today and you sat in this service doesn't mean that you're going to walk out of here transformed. For too much of the American church, what they, they, they walk out satisfied with their complacency, well, I went to church. And I was sitting there during worship this morning, and I was like, Lord, that's what this is supposed to be. This is what this is supposed to be. It's not us coming to a church service. It's us corporately coming together after all the busyness and the craziness of our weeks and the demands of our schedules and the things that have been drawing upon us emotionally and physically, spiritually, is to come into this time where we can be refreshed, where we can be strengthened. And not only that we receive some, but, but we, we can be here to give out of what we have to others. Maybe it's an encouraging word. Maybe it's a smile. The end of the service will be prayer. We can, we can exchange. We can have this exchange. We can, we can give and receive and encounter. Corporately come and, and love on you, Jesus. Spiritual, physical, or mental growth does not come by osmosis. It comes through hunger, desperation, commitment, and engagement. You know, God really did mean something when he put in the scriptures, it's more blessed to give than to receive. Okay? You all believe that? more blessed to give than to receive? You really mean that? Okay, we're going to do an offering right now? Whoa, 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 what do you mean? Whoa, whoa, whoa. Well, you just said it's more blessed to give than to receive. Now, I see that humorously, but many times, you know, that's what happens is that, that we, 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 we say things, but when it comes to the engagement, we're not so quick to act on that. I learned a long time ago that when the enemy begins to send any kind of attacks into my life, I found that one of the greatest defenses to that is engaging in your call or in your purpose. So whenever I get attacked in my life on any aspect, what I look for is a place to start pastoring, to give out of my pastoral gift. Why? Because that stirs the, 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 the strength and the grace and the purpose of God in my life, it's a strengthen to me. So I, I start looking for somewhere to pastor somebody, whether it's one of my neighbors or, or uh, you know, maybe I'll get a phone call or, or I'll call one of my friends. 
They think I'm calling to check up on them. I'm actually calling to stir my gift. Sorry, Sean. <laughs> I love you, man, but it's... See, what are you, what are you doing to stir those things in your lives? Because that's, that's where a strength will come into your life. That's what's talking about more blessed to give than receive. It's not just necessarily talking about the tangibles that we have to give, but of your love, of your grace, of, of, of the essence of who you are, the ethos of who you are, the gift that resides within you. How quick are you, are, are you to give that? The wisdom God has. Many of, so many of you in this room have wisdom. Oh, my gosh. I don't know all of you personally, but I, but I know there are people in this room that have the gift of wisdom. If nothing else, it's from life's journey. Nancy, my gosh, just from life's journey, you have wisdom, girl, to share. And when you give that wisdom out, you ever do that, Nancy? You ever, just people come and say, hey, but they say, well, this is what... Most of the time, Nancy, it's what we learn not to do, right? Rather than just what you do, just don't do this. But when you do that, there's something that stirs in you. What is that? That's that scripture. It's more blessed to give than to receive. See, when, you're, when your pastor or your leadership gets up here and say, hey, you know, we have places for you to volunteer, to get involved in it. It's not, it's not, it's not for them. It's for you. It's for you. Why? Because it's more blessed to give than to receive. When you engage your life in a kingdom purpose is where you will experience fulfillment like you've never experienced before. So how many in here are not volunteering at this time? No, I'm kidding. Don't raise your hands. I'm going to encourage you. Why? Because there is where you will experience Kairos moments. When I pastored churches, I had people come to me and say, well, I don't, I don't know what it is that I'm really called to do. And I, was, I always told them, I said, find a place where there's a need in the church and plug your life into that. It may not be what you're called to do, but it'll be the place where you discover what you're called to do. Why? Because if there first be a willing heart, it's not accounted to what one doesn't have, but what one does have. What? A willing heart. That's what the Apostle Paul said. The last thing I'm going to talk about. Is that 1039 or 1033? We'll go with 1039 just to be safe. I told Sean I'd be done by 1045. But my background is my language. I'm a Cretan. They're always gluttons and liars. And no, I'm kidding. Okay. I want to talk to you just for a little bit about hunger. Proverbs 27, 7 says, To the hungry soul, every bitter thing is sweet. How hungry are you? 
How hungry are you? To have Christ in your life, to have the purpose of God, to live out the purpose of God. Because it's not always going to be sweet. But when you know you're pursuing the purpose of God, every bitter thing becomes sweet. I told this story last night. I said I told it because Pastor Sean wasn't here, but I'll, I'll broach this holy ground and tell you this story today even with him being here. Many of you probably don't know, but my background before um, coming to Christ was one of uh, drugs and alcohol. I was a drug dealer, not proud of those days, but nevertheless, it was a part of my life. So there was a, a, a time I remembered that we'd been partying some and uh, got the munchies. Hopefully nobody in here knows what the munchies are, right? I was in a church recently, and I said, How many, who in here doesn't know what the munchies is? And there was, there was one young gal. She's probably early 20s, raised her hand. I said, good, don't ask anybody what it is. Just live your life the way you're living it. So we got the munchies. And the only thing that I had in the house was a quart of ice cream and a can of beets. You know what I did, don't you? I got me a big old bowl of vanilla ice cream. I opened that can of beets up and poured it over the ice cream. And I had a beet sundae. Yo, QT, or not QT, but Dairy Queen needs to come out like a, with a, like a, you know, a beet blizzard. I vividly remember waking up the next morning and going, dear Lord, I can't believe I ate that. But, but I'm, I'm using that to say, what was it? it? Because I had this insatiable hunger, I was willing to consume something that I wouldn't normally do, that was out of the norm for me, or that, I, that re- really I wouldn't, you know, normally do. And that's what happens when you, when you have a hunger for Jesus, a hunger for the Trinity, is that you'll be willing to change some things in your life that are not comfortable. That's not easy. But you'll consider it very sweet because of the outcome of it that will happen in your life. I can remember when I, when I came to Christ, the, the very night I came to Christ, the living room of my grandfather's house in, in September of 1979. One of my first thoughts were, now I've become a sissy. Because I was this macho guy. I was building a cross-country high-voltage power lines, traveling all over his rough, tough world. You know, all this stuff, and I won't go into all of that, but in my, my, in my mind, Christians were just sissies, and now I are one. It was, it was a difficult thing. It was kind of a bitter thing, but the sweetness of it was 
that I found out that in 19, September 1979, in the living room of my grandfather's house, I didn't become a sissy. I became a man. I became a man of God. And I'm here to tell you, that's been so sweet to be a man of God. To the hunk boy, because I was hungry. That was I was just, I was dissatisfied with my life. I didn't. I hated the way I was living. I was like the Apostle Paul. You know, he said the thing I want to be, I don't be. The thing, thing the very don't, that I don't want to do, I do, and all this. And that was a struggle within me. It was like I live this life. I hate this life. But you know, I was this. But, but then this Kairos moment happened. And I became a man. I became a man of God. My life was transfigured. If you're here today and you haven't had a moment like that, I implore you to let go. To make the move, even though it seems bitter, it seems difficult to do. But you also know you're very dissatisfied with the way you're living right now. You're dissatisfied with where you're at. In here. It's not about out here. It's in here. Jesus said, come to me, all you that are weary and burdened. And there will be a rest for your souls that I have that is beyond your expectation. There is a life that I have for you that is full of strength and peace and joy. Now, it may not be an easy road. You know, I think I've said this before, but it's very repetition. I used to, you know, one of the phrases I used to use is, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. I changed that years ago. Now what I tell people is, God loves you and has a very difficult plan for your life. Because Jesus said in Matthew 7, narrow and difficult is the way that leads to life. What We're going to have challenges. I was talking to someone before the service. They were telling me about some things that uh, this summer that they've had to uh, walk through this summer. And I said, you know, the thing about it is, is that we all go through storms. Whether we're in Christ or out of Christ, we all go through the same storms. The difference is, is that when you're in Christ, there's a foundation that's unshakable that you have versus if you're outside of Christ, there is no foundation and all you have is your emotions. And Lord knows we know what can happen with our emotions, right? So if you're here today, I want you to think about that.
What are you going to do with your life? You want to keep living the same way you're living. I don't. I don't want to live the same today. Tomorrow, I want tomorrow to be far more rewarding and to be full of the riches of the desire of God for my life. That's why I'm going to keep pursuing and keep making the changes that I need to make in my life. Amen? Why don't you all stand with me this morning? If you stand, I'll quit. So we'll wish we would have known that 15 minutes ago. Lord, we've been in your presence. It's undeniable. And as I've stood on this platform today, my prayer this morning, as I was sitting in my room, was that Jesus, I pray that you would be magnified that you would be a light that enters the heart of every person that is in the sound of my voice on this day. That you would be their bright and morning star. That you would reveal yourself as the faithful one, the one who never changes, the one who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I pray today that in every individual in this room, that Holy Spirit, you would, as they journey from here into their lives, that you would, minute by minute, hour by hour, day by day, keep revealing. Maybe something I said today set within their hearts. Holy Spirit, I ask you to keep watering that and nurturing it. That word. That phrase. That thought. And I thank you, Lord, for this Kairos time that we've been able to have together as a family of God in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.